older and thinking of things, you don't see how many, how many of y'all, when I say that mini series, how many of y'all remember when there used to be mini series on TV? Some of the young folks, they don't even like, what in the world is a mini series? I remember the day when there used to be mini series on TV. That's what this is, a two-week mini-series, Acts chapter 13, verse 21. If you got it or you see it on the screen, would you say amen? Reading from the NIV this morning, Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I want to conclude this series this morning on the cities of David. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and we praise you so much for today. Thank you for all your goodness, your mercy. Thank you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we thank you for that promise. I thank you for what you've done here already today, for your presence. I ask for your anointing, Lord, upon my life from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Use me today. And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice listening, God, both here in person and those that may listen by podcast. Open their hearts, minds, and spirits. Lord, let the Word of God fall onto good ground and bring forth a mighty harvest. Lord, we thank you for it all today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody say, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I began, and I'm just going to skim the surface. I'm not going to re-preach what I preached last week. I'm just going to skim the surface just to catch you up, just in case you weren't here, or just in case you're like me. Maybe your memory's not as good as it used to be. But in the cities of David in this series, we're talking about how we don't like to wait nowadays. We don't enjoy waiting. We want it right now. We want it as soon as we can get it. But how many of you know that God many, many times makes us wait on the promise. God gives promises, and God always fulfills promises. But can I just tell you this this morning, whether you like it or not, that just as much as God gives promises and fulfills promises, just about every time he makes us wait on the fulfillment of the promise as well. Very, very, very seldom is a promise given and immediately that promise is fulfilled. There's a waiting period. There's a time that we have to wait. And as we look in the life of David, we find that as well. David was anointed king. David had the prophet Samuel. He was, Samuel was quite a significant man. We know that Samuel was the last uh, judge of Israel, anointed the first and second king of Israel. He was high priest. He was prophet. He was a very significant man, a very mighty man of God. And Samuel, so when I say this, it's not like just some kind of traveling prophet salesman that had never been heard of before stops by Jesse's house and does this. But I mean, this is Samuel, stops by the house of Jesse and anoints David as king of Israel. But David has to go through a process. And in the 
context of this message, David has to go through different cities and different places in order for God to prepare him for the promise that God has given him. And I'll give you this one again this week just so you can write it down and maybe even give me one of those sympathetic verdict wows again that God is working while you are waiting. That God has never stopped working. He has never stopped. God is working while you are in the waiting process. And though we know David was not perfect, there was no other king that went through this training uh, regiment, and no other king was really quite as good as David. As I mentioned last week, as you read through uh, uh, Kings and Chronicles, every single king that comes along, some were extremely wicked, some were okay, but every single one of them, it seemed, just could not measure up to the king name David. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not going to re-preach this, but for the sake of your notes, we talked about, first of all, last week, the first city was Bethlehem, the city of beginnings. And in that city, be faithful in the natural before the spiritual. Secondly, David learned to be a worshiper and a warrior. Then he had to be faithful to graduate from Bethlehem. We moved on then, David's life, to Gibeah, which was the city of of exposure. And the lessons we learn in Gibeah are that he was exposed to royalty. And in fact, we find that in the exposure to the royalty, not only did he find what he should do, but he also found a bunch of what he should not do as well. And then we find in that that we must be faithful even in an early promotion in our lives. And so we come to where we're at today and we come to the third city, which is really not a city in all actuality, but it flows a little bit better to title it cities instead of just the places of David. Somebody say amen. And so now we come to the Valley of Elah, the city of transition. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 57, then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine. Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. So, so we find this picture now. David is standing here with the head of Goliath in front of King Saul. And so what is the lesson that we learn in this valley? Well, we find that the valley of Elam is where David faced a giant and he won. Now, it was, it was the place that served as the turning point in his life that ended up catapulting him to fame and lofty positions. But here's what we tend to do sometimes as we're sitting here in church. It's nice and comfortable. Can I take you back to, was it June, when one of the air-conditioned units kept not working, and it was hot as blazes in here and everything? But right now, they're both working. The, the padding on the bottom of that pew feels good. I know as you're sitting there, the cool air is blowing. Uh, you know, it, it's a little bit dreary out there, so we're nice and we're comfortable, and it's kind of good just to amen a little bit. But can I just tell you, it sounds nice and neat because we know the end of the story, but listen, in the valley of Eli, David had to fight a giant. Well, I got a couple of amens out there. I said, David had to fight 
a giant. This dude, when you read in the Scripture, we don't know the exacts of his proportions, but we do know that he was at least nine feet tall, perhaps bigger. He was at least nine feet tall. I mean, this was a large, intimidating man. He was a mountain of a man. He was a man that carried a large spear. He was a man that had a large shield that another guy even carried around his his shield for him. He was a man that also had a sword, we find, because that very sword is the one David uses to cut off his head, but he is clothed in armor from head to toe with very little weaknesses in his armor. Can I just say this one more time? In the valley of Elah, in the place of the turning point in his life that would catapult him, David had to face a giant. So here's what we find ourselves many times. We want the promotion. We want the blessings. We want the fame. But I just got to let you know that when you show up in Elah, you're going to get the blessing. You're going to get the promotion. But you got to face the giant first. Oh, man, y'all are quiet this morning. You see, Goliath struck fear into an entire army remember the story when David shows up there remember what's going on he shows up at the camp and he's talking to everybody you know he he had brought some stuff daddy Jesse had sent him said hey boy I want you to go and I want you to take some food some cheeses and some breads and things out there to your brothers and some of his friends. And so David, he's a, he transports the stuff there and he shows up at the battlefield and they're all just kind of hanging out. Everything kind of seems, you know, okay for the moment. Everybody's just talking a little bit. And all of a sudden, cross yonder way, cross the valley, this loud, obnoxious, vulgar voice begins to call out. And what happens, the Bible said that those soldiers, those Israelite soldiers, they started to hide. They started to cower. They started to run. And David looks at the people, the guy's brothers and the other, he's like, who is this joker that he is cursing God, that he is speaking against God's people? And they tell, that's Goliath. He is the champion of the Philistines. And in that day and time, many times, I think probably to help save lives, many times they would say, let's do this. Let's send out our best fighters and let them fight it out. And whoever wins, wins. And we don't have to kill each other in the process. And so here Goliath is, day after day, coming out, mocking Israel, mocking the Lord, speaking against God, until finally David shows up on the battlefield and he says, there's absolutely no way that I can keep sitting here and letting this joker curse the name of the Lord and get away with it. He said, not only did he say, many times we say, somebody needs to do something about that, but David didn't just say, somebody needs to do something. He said, I will be the one to do that something. He wasted no time in volunteering to take on this giant. And we find in this battle, we know what happens. 
We know that David then runs out. We know that he had taken five smooth stones. I don't have the time this morning to talk about the entire story of why. We know that Goliath had four brothers. Many people believe that that's why he took the five smooth stones and he put them, he went down to the creek and he got the five smooth stones and then he comes and when Goliath comes out and he's running his mouth David comes out and the Lord anoints him and uses him. He puts one stone in his sling and hits him right in the forehead. The one place that the giant was vulnerable, he falls to the ground. David takes Goliath Goliath's own sword out of the sheath and cuts off the head of the giant. Now remember this. We see David did what? He drew upon his own childhood experience of fighting lions and bears and taking care of sheep to take care of this giant Goliath. Listen to your pastor. That is why Preparation time is so critical. Remember, we preached about this last week and talked about how, how, how he was out there in the field. He was out there tending sheep. He was out there doing the mundane stuff. He was out there. I kind of joked around, and it was my own thing. I said, probably when he first started with that slingshot, probably hit a couple of his brothers, probably aimed at trees, eventually killed a bear, eventually killed a lion. But it was those things then that prepared him to walk out on the battlefield and face the giant. Folks, can I just tell you one more time that that is why I believe this Bible is chock full of instances where God wanted people to be prepared before he sends them out into the heat of the battle. Absolutely. It was God's anointing. David said it. You come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Yes, it was God's anointing. Yes, it was God's presence, but it was also the preparation that God had put David through that allowed him to be the champion that he would become. Amen. Give God praise if you believe it. So we find in these lessons, number one, that David showed absolute confidence in the power of God. I mean, David did not flinch. David did not hesitate. David went and took on this over nine foot tall dude in battle because he had confidence, not in himself, but he said confidence because he was coming in the name of the Lord. Folks, I've got confidence today. I know things are looking bad. I know things are looking rough. I know that this world and even our own country is becoming more and more hostile toward Christianity and to our standards and to our beliefs. And sometimes, you know, if you let it, the devil just lets you know, well, you're just going to become irrelevant. And you might as well just back down. But no, we've got to remember the battle that we're not fighting. It's not our battle. And if we believe in the power of God Almighty and put our confidence in him we know that he'll take care of us he showed absolute confidence in the power of God what else did he learn in the valley of Elah number two to have faith and act rather than to run in fear you see David did what was natural he did what he knew he needed to do and unlike every other man in Israel he did not cower in fear but he faced it head on Thirdly, we find that each of us has a valley of Elah, a giant that we must face. Folks, I'm going to say this again. It's not the pleasant part. 
we like the shouting part. We like the part where the giant's laying on the ground and David's cutting the head off. And even where, where we read from the scripture where he's walking up to Saul with the head of this giant in his hand. But before he could get to that place, he had to face the giant while he was still alive head on, face on in the battlefield by himself when it came to him. All the rest of those soldiers were cowering and hiding in fear, but he had to face him. But let me just remind you one more time that the giants that you face, you don't have to face them alone because he said, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. You are not by yourself. You are not alone because God himself is with you he will never leave you nor forsake you he is right there with you when you face your giant somebody give God praise if you believe it I gotta move on we gotta get a couple more cities fourthly we find again not a city but another place we find that David arrives at the cave of Adullam the city of of leadership development. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So what lessons do we find in a cave? You see, we find that David has just in the previous chapter, take some time, I encourage you in this next week and read some of this. David has just escaped. His friend Jonathan, Saul's son, has advised him, you better get out of town because my daddy is crazy and he's going to kill you if you don't get away. And where does David go? The place that he goes is Gath. Where is Gath? It's where the Philistines live. It's where the family and the people of Goliath live. And David shows up at Gath and all of a sudden everybody's talking that same little song we talked about last week. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And can you imagine the awkwardness of strolling down the streets of Gath and you're the dude that killed their champion? Knowing somewhere roaming around that place too was four of Goliath's brothers that were probably just as big and nasty as him. So David does what any of us would have done. And what does he do? Go back and read it. He played crazy. He did read it. Go back and read it. This was the time where David, the king, gets a hold of him. David gets panicked, and he starts talking like a crazy person. Not only does he talk, the Bible actually describes it, that he begins to let drool come down his beard. I mean, he acts absolutely in like Whitfield. Y'all know where Whitfield is. When I was up in Illinois, nobody knew where Whitfield was. But y'all Mississippi folk, you know where Whitfield is. I mean, he was acting like he needed to go to Whitfield. And so the king is like, the last thing I need is one more nut here. Just send him on off. And so David then comes to the cave of Adullam. And the cave of Adullam was a place of relative safety. And here he took time to recover and think. 
Think about what he's, th- I mean, can you imagine what he's thinking about? Here he is. He's like, what just happened? I've been faithful. I was promoted from Bethlehem to Gibeah, fought Goliath at Elah. Now I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I had to go to the enemy's city and got, I had to act crazy to get out of here. And now here I am in this cave. And we find a true sense of despair. When you read Psalm chapter 142, it says this, a prayer when he was in the cave. It says this, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto the Lord. O Lord, I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass about me, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. What do we learn in the cave of Adullam? Well, first of all, we learn be faithful when you don't understand. You see, the cave is the battle you fight after the battle you won. I'm going to let that sink in. The cave is the battle you fight after the battle you won. You see, most of us, we think, man, we just killed a giant. Dude, we just, we just took down Goliath. We just fought this huge battle. I mean, we are victorious, and we think what? Well, that's done. I'm done. I just hang it up. Don't have to worry about it. Hey, hey. Boy, do we got something else coming. Well, we think we've won a big old battle, and we are done forever, I guess, we think sometimes. Just about the time you've won this battle, and you think it's all over with, guess what? There's another battle headed our way. You said, oh, I don't like that. I'm sorry, I just got to preach to you what the Word says today because I don't want you getting blindsided. You see, there was a battle. This was the battle that you fought after the battle you won. Being faithful when you don't understand. The cave is dark. The cave is cold. The cave is wet. And in the cave, you deal with praise, discouragement, and distress. David's behavior says, I only serve the Lord. It's not about me getting even or killing Saul, but winning the battle of faithfulness. Folks, you've heard me preach this enough already. I have become determined that what God is looking for today is some people that will be faithful. That will be faithful in Bethlehem. That will be faithful on the battlefield. That will be faithful in the cave. That will be faithful when things are good. That will be faithful when things are bad. That will be faithful when things are going your way. And be faithful when everything seems to be going against you. We all get to visit the cave in life. David, Joseph, Paul. All great People have a cave. All great leaders we read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
go through a training preparation period. Now, see, I've got an issue with some that say, you know, well, I'm, I'm called out to be able to do whatever I want. Just clear the way. I've got a call on my life. Clear the way. Give me a position. Give me a place. Well, let me just tell you, Paul, who was in Saul, had a pretty dramatic call himself. Jesus showed up, knocked him off a horse, but even Saul, who would later become Paul, had to go through a training process and served in Antioch. There wasn't a lot of fame, wasn't a lot of popularity there, but he had to serve. You see, we have to to serve him in the process. Can I just tell you, wherever you're at, you need to be serving the Lord. Some way, somehow. Wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, you need to be faithful to serve him in the process. Too many people, too many people have got a vision of what God wants, and there is nothing wrong with that that is necessary. You need a vision of where God is taking you, but the problem is people don't want to serve until they've arrived at the destination and the vision that God has given them when God is calling us to serve every step along the way what did he do well read about it you can read right there in in uh in first samuel chapter 22 there and you find the bible begins to talk about how all of these can i say it like this? all these rejects people that had problems people that had issues people that had all these rejects start coming to the cave they heard about david and they start coming to the cave and they start following David. And what did David do? He served God in the process. Mm, before David ever sat on the throne of Israel, he sat on a throne serving and leading rejects in a cave. God is just telling us wherever we are at, serve him. Whatever is going on in our life, serve Him. Before we get to that place, we see God taking us, serve Him and serve the people right where we are at. Because you know what those rejects end up being? Those rejects actually end up being David's mighty men. And it was David's mighty men that ended up getting David to the throne where he would reign in all of Israel. See, God will take the nobodies. God will take that situation nobody else wants to be in and put you there. And if you'll be faithful and serve him there, he'll take that to get you to where you need to be. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting this morning. I'm telling you what. You see, we can't, thirdly, First, be faithful. You don't understand. Two, serve them in the process. Three, don't lose your joy in the cave. Joy is restored in the sacrifice of praise. I want to share this. And I want to be careful how I say this because I actually had a couple different people. We had a little technical difficulty and wasn't able to get the podcast up last week. And I had a couple different people that messaged me 
said, hey, where's the podcast? And so I want to be careful what I say here, because, but I want to share, I guess, really a little testimony with you about losing your joy in the cave. It was sometime toward the end of 2020, and I've, I've shared with you enough, you know that I felt like my time at Bethalto was coming to an end, and I'd felt for seven years almost I'd been praying about here, and, 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 and I came to this place, and I found myself, and, and I'm not going to give them the mic because I think that my girls, all three of them, they would all amen and shout me down, and there was a little period of time where I was just miserable. I was just miserable. I wasn't fun to be around. I just, I just felt like, can I just, I was just in the cave. It felt dark and cold and damp. I wasn't literally living in a cave. But I was in that place in my mind where I felt like I was living in the cave. And let me just tell you this, what happened. One day, one day I turned on the app and my friend of mine that, that I've known, Tony Stewart, down in Tampa, Florida. He had somebody, he was having a revival, and he had a lady preaching by, that she, she calls herself. Now, this is, where, this is the way God always likes to work. She calls herself Real Talk Kim. Has anybody ever seen Real Talk Kim before? Yes, Beth has. See, memory has. So she's an evangelist. She calls herself Real talk, Kim. And let me just, I'm just going to be as honest because I want this to be relevant to you. She's a weirdo to me. <laughs> you just look her up and you look how she dresses and you look at some of the junk. And I mean, I look at her and I'm like, this chick is weird. Mm, but one more time, let me just tell you that this, that God will take the ones you think are weird and the ones that you're not quite think there, and he'll use them to get you where you need to be. So I was sitting in the living room, and I knew that Tony had had a revival down there, and I'm like, who was preaching tonight? Because, you know, I, Samuel Rodriguez, anybody ever heard of him? He did tonight. I'm, oh, I love some Samuel Rodriguez and all that. And I flip, and it's like, oh, Lord, it was real talk, Kim. I mean, what kind of name? Who calls it Real Talk Kim? I'm, from now on, would you call me Real Talk Dennis? <laughs> so, no, I'm kidding, Max. I saw you. No, no I'm not, you don't have to call me that. So I turn it on. I'm like, well, I'm just going to listen to her. So she gets to preaching, and I'm telling you, I've had those. Listen, I believe that every time, if the word is being preached, I can gain something. But then there are those times and listen, if you've never experienced it, I guess you don't. But there are those times where God just seems to just directly speak to you. And God went through this weird-looking woman that calls herself Real Talk Kim down in Tampa, Florida, while I'm in Bethalto, Illinois, and she starts talking about, don't you lose your joy. And I'm talking about the Holy Ghost started getting a hold of me right there in our living room. And she starts preaching about, don't you let your joy go. Don't you lose your joy. You better keep your joy. In fact, you need to reclaim your joy. And right there, that day, it wasn't even live anymore. It had been the night before. It wasn't even live anymore. But right there in my living room, I started praying. I was like, Lord, would you give me my joy back? I need my joy back. 
In fact, I'm going to get specific here because maybe somebody needs to hear it. I, my prayer started, started this because I knew, I felt it in my spirit. I, I knew that God had promised me and I would prayed about coming back to Mississippi. And my prayer became, Lord, I don't want to go. I can't let a place be the place that brings my It's You've got to be the joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so my prayer began, God, I don't, I'm not going back to Mississippi to get my joy but I am going to get my joy back before I ever go back there. You see, I've come to the place to realize that God is the source of my joy. Can I tell you, whether you're in a prison, whether you're across the ocean, wherever you may be, a place is not your joy. People are not your joy. Position is not your joy. It is the joy of the Lord. Joy comes from God, and you must get your joy joy back if you've lost it. Don't lose your joy while you are in the cave. Well, how did, how did it happen? I read to you that whole chapter from the book of Psalm 142. And what happened? In the middle of the cave, David did what David did. He started to praise he started to praise while he was in the cave. I need somebody to get a hold of this right now. You may be in the cave, but you still need a praise. You may be in the dark. You may be in the cold. You may be in the damp. You may feel rejected, but God sent me by here to tell somebody, you better praise him while you're in the cave. Because if you'll praise him in the cave, he's going to bring you out of the cave. Your joy returns in your sacrifice of praise. Fourthly, Lord, i got to hurry. What do you do in the cave of Adullam? What lesson we learn? Fourthly, sometimes you have to retreat to recover. Adullam represented a place to retreat, a place to recover, and a place to heal. We're finding ourselves now, it's insane the kind of numbers that we're finding of people that are burning out, people that are quitting. Listen, sometimes you got to retreat. I know that I know we're drilled into us here in America. Got to keep going. Got to keep moving. But sometimes you got to retreat, recover, and heal. Not forever, but you've got to take some time. What else do we find? Fifthly, we come to the city of Hebron, the city of almost there. Second Samuel chapter two and verse one. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, "Shall I go up?" to any of the cities of Judah. And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So what lessons can we learn in Hebron? One is, Be faithful in your almost theirs. I, I, know, this, I know this is kind of a repeating theme you keep hearing. There, there's a reason for that. God keeps saying, be faithful wherever you're at. Be faithful and you're almost there. Hebron is where David was crowned the king of Judah, but not yet of Israel. Here God began to fulfill the prophecy surrounding David's life that he would take Saul's throne as king over the entire nation of Israel. But this moment that he's in yet, we find that he didn't go to Jerusalem, that he didn't go to Zion, that he didn't go to, but he went to Hebron. 
In fact, when you look at it, you find that at this moment, though he was closer, closer than he had ever been before, finally he would take on a crown. Finally, after being anointed king, finally he would now be a king of somewhere. Actually, only one-twelfth of what the promise said. Y'all listen to me. Hebron was the place of almost there. He had promised him Israel, but right now he's only got Judah, only a twelfth of it. Oh, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes that can be the most discouraging place in the world where you're so stinking close, but you're just not quite there. Sometimes being close to our dreams is one of the most difficult places. In his book, Walking to Jerusalem, author Chris Hill encourages us, don't rush through the places of almost there because God is doing a great work in your life. He is preparing you for the end, the fulfillment of your dream. God said, I want to see if you'll be faithful in one twelfth before I give you twelve twelfths. Man, y'all are quiet there. You see, what you thought, what you thought, the Lord was telling you, God was going to take you here. God was going to do you this. God was going to give you this promotion. God was going to bless you here. And you know good and well, but you only get a twelfth of it. But God is saying, will you be faithful with the twelfth? Will you serve me in the twelfth? You know I'm a pastor. You know I'm going to get this in here somehow. Will you tithe on the hundred dollars I give you before I give you the hundred thousand? Oh, I knew it'd get silent there. You say you want the blessings, you say, but will you give out of your hundred before you get the hundred thousand? And would you be faithful in the hundred thousand before God would ever give you the million? Oh, that's all right. I knew it was going to be quiet. And what we always need to remember. Is what I told you last week. I told you at the beginning of this week. And I'm going to tell you one more time. Remember, he is working while we are waiting. This whole time, God is working. God is preparing. God is moving. Until finally we come to number six, the city of Zion. The city of dreams. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So what lessons do we learn in Zion? Because Zion's name says it all. Zion was a citadel that was at the center of Jerusalem, which explains why it means highest point. Psalm 48 and 2 says, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. 
You see, Zion is Jerusalem, particularly in regard to her Davidic inheritance. And by her Davidic inheritance, I mean the promise of God to establish the son of David upon the throne of Zion forever. Psalm 89, 3 and 4, verse 29, verses 35 and 37, chapter 132, 11 through 18. You see, God made a promise. He told David, he said, you will always have an heir on the throne. And you can read through Kings and Chronicles, and you can read where God was faithful. There where Ahab's line got cut off. Several other kings' line got cut off. But David's line, God said, I promise my servant David, and I'm not going to let his lineage die. You say, but there's not a king in Israel now. No, there's not. God simply hit the pole button. But there's coming a day brothers and sisters where the king of kings and the lord of lords go to the book of Matthew and though sometimes we get bored with the genealogies there is purpose in those genealogies because they list it out to where you can find on both sides of this family Mary and Joseph and of course from God we find the lineage of Jesus Christ comes from the lineage of David and Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is soon to return. He will sit on a throne on Mount Zion. He will rule and reign forever. David's covenant will be upheld. Zion, therefore, represents two things. It represents the seat of governmental authority. And it represents the seat of ceaseless worship. Can I just tell you that David, he had a lot of faults and failures, but he was a man after God's own heart, and he was a man that knew how to worship. You see, number one, what do we learn from this? Only preparation will bring you to the place. I know that we want to we get there. We want to we arrive as quickly as possible. But folks, I'm telling you, according to this book, only preparation will bring you to this place. Secondly, revelation will always take place before reality. When God gives you a promise and then reveals your purpose, you can count on it. You see, we are called to rule and to reign we are called to be overcomers. Why are we called to be overcomers? Because we've got something we're going to have to overcome. We like victory, but how many of you know there has to be a fight before you can experience victory? We want to be overcomers, but you have to have something to overcome before you can truly be an overcomer. And revelation will always take place before reality. See, that's the problem for us. The problem is we have the revelation. God gives us the picture. God gives us the vision. He speaks to us about something. But us as humans, we want it now. And it becomes discouraging sometimes to us when we don't have it as soon as we think we should have it. But remember that revelation always comes before reality for the people of God. We must receive our identity from the Lord. What else do we do? Number three, I got to keep moving. Remain 
grateful. You see, we've got to remain grateful when God brings us to that place that he has promised us. We've got to remain grateful. You know what happens sometimes when we arrive? We become arrogant. And quickly we think that we've gotten ourselves there. And it's us that has made it happen. Folks, listen, when God blesses you, you better remember to praise him. Number four, what we learn in Zion, we need to learn to stay in his presence. God chose to establish his kingdom and the, and the delights in those who submit themselves to his rule. And, and Psalm 132 and 13, for the Lord hath chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. It was here, and I don't have time. I've got a whole message sometime that I'll preach, but I don't have time to talk about the tabernacle of David. And David established something that there had never been in Israel before. The tabernacle of David was a place of praise. Before the time of David, there was not an organized worship team. Before the time of David, there was not this place of praise and worship, but it was under David where David then establishes the tabernacle of David where praise and worship would go forth. Fifthly, don't get complacent because this is the place where we are tested to remain faithful. You see... The sad thing is this, David's biggest blunders never came in Bethlehem, never came in the cave of Adullam. David's biggest blunders didn't come in Gath. David's biggest blunders didn't come in Hebron. David's biggest blunders came in Zion. David's biggest blunders came in Jerusalem when the promises had finally been fulfilled. Man, sometimes when you're just out there battling it out and you're just out there fighting the devil and everything, you don't got time to make your mind is on the Lord, but many times it's when the God finally brings you to that place and He puts you, He gives you that blessing and you arrive in Zion. And it was then, it was then where David's most famous and one of his biggest blunders, Bathsheba, read into it sometime. The opening of that chapter that describes the story said, in the time when the kings go out to war, David RDL version, was sitting at the house. At the time where David was still supposed to be active, David was still supposed to be going out, there does come a time you read about in the time of David where he becomes so old that they're like, and he almost gets killed, that they're like, listen, David, you don't need to be out on the battlefield anymore. But that was not that time. This was still a time where he should have been there, but he was taking it easy. Kicking back in the palace, relaxing, chilling out. And what does he do in that time? When he peers out his window and sees old Bathsheba taking a bath, lust gets a hold of him, commits adultery, commits murder. 
that causes a, tra- a chain reaction. I don't have time. It's a diff- another message for another day. A chain reaction of after David's mess up, David then, because of the guilt of his mess up, fails to correct his children in a lot of ways. But again, I don't have time for that. But what I want you to see here is that David never, he didn't have those big blunders in any other place. The big blunders came in Zion. So listen to your pastor. When God does bless you and God does bring you that place, that God gives you that, please, it is at that place where I believe we have to be the most careful because it's at that place where we let our guards down, let our hair down, kick back and enjoy it when God is telling us, one more time everywhere we are to be faithful and keep serving him wherever you are at right now God is telling you to be faithful and to keep on serving him stand with me if you will please I've tried to be as understanding and as cautious with breathing on people and all that as I can. But I feel, I feel led this morning. Again, I, you know me well enough by now. I'm not going to call up anybody, make you come up if you don't feel comfortable. But after a few weeks of not having people up to the altar, I just I feel compelled today. I want to pray for some people. Maybe you don't feel comfortable coming. That's all right. I'm not going to. I'm not going to badmouth you, but I just, I just feel there are some that, that need prayer today. So here's what I want to ask you. Where are you at? What place are you at? What city, place are you in right now? Because there's a couple things that I, I hope you've seen the theme over this, that no matter where you're at, that number one, please be faithful to the Lord. Wherever you're at, be faithful to Him. Keep on serving Him. Keep on pursuing after Him. Don't forget the vision that He's given you. Remember, revelation comes before reality. Don't forget about it. Everywhere you look, God gave people vision and dream and revelation. Joseph, God, there's, it's there. Wherever you're at, be faithful. Serve Him. Serve wherever you're at because it's when you're faithful and you serve right where you're at. It's then that God will enable you to move on to the next place and to the next place and to the next place until finally He brings you to the place to fulfill the promise that He's given to you. You know, some places are more discouraged. Every place has their own. I'm not going to re-preach this. Every place has its own challenges. Every place in life has its own difficulties and stuff you got to manage and get through. What I just want to do today is I just want to pray with you. And I'm not going to ask you, you know, what city are you in Bethlehem? You in Gibeah? You in the cave of Adullam? I'm not... I'm not going to ask you that today because the fact of the matter is every single one of us are 
somewhere in that. We're somewhere in there. And I just want to pray for you today that the Lord would help you to be faithful. First of all, be faithful wherever you're at. You might be in a place, some places are more discouraging than others. I understand that. But I'm not going to yammer on anymore because I just, like I said, I just felt led this week that I need to all open the altars back up again. I'm not going to pull you out. If you don't feel comfortable, that is completely fine. I'm not downing you. But I just feel like that there may be some here today that you need to be down here. And you want somebody to pray with you. So I just want to ask you this morning as they begin to sing this song, wherever you feel like you're at, whatever city you feel like you may be in, would you just come and find a place in these altars right now? And some of our prayer team is going to come. I'm going to come and pray with you. But right now, these altars are open. Wherever you may feel like you're at, whatever city, whatever place you may feel like you're at right now, and you just need the Lord to help you, you need the Lord to encourage you, or maybe you just say, God, I want to remain faithful. I don't want to quit. I don't want to give up. I don't want to stop. I want to remain faithful to you, oh God. Thank you. I know there's more. I know there is. As they begin to sing, just go ahead and begin to sing. These altars are open right now. If I can get some of my prayer warriors, just begun, begin to come and pray with these that are here. And I know there are some more that need to come. These altars are open. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But please don't sit back and not come up today. Please just come. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Surrender 
Jesus is running after, is running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, it's running after me your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God In all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Father, right now in the name of Jesus Father, I pray that, Lord God, nobody would lose their joy 
Lord God, for some that may have lost their joy, I pray that they'd get it back, Lord, and they'd get it back by praising you. They'd get it back by praising and worshiping you. David got his joy back by praising you even in the cave, oh Lord. Lord, he worshiped and praised you even in a dark place, God. Help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to never lose sight of the vision that you've given to us, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just believe you. We trust you, O oh God. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, would you just lift your hands one more time? 